Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. While you're turning there, I want to remind you that during this month, the first four Wednesday nights, we'll be studying the Gospels. Wednesday nights, so sign up for that if you'd like. Had a good study on Matthew, and so we'll begin with Mark this coming Wednesday night. Also, during this month, we'll be taking a special offering for relief to those people who are suffering in the nation of Turkey from the landslides and earthquakes. So pray for them. We'll be working through a couple of missions organizations, specifically the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. They have missionaries on site and in neighboring nations. And we'll be able to get some aid there. So we'll give generously to that. Like I said, we'll be taking it up through the month of March. And just on your checks or envelopes, just put disaster relief and it'll get to the right place. Luke chapter 19. They've already told you we'll be looking at the story of Zacchaeus. I can't read this passage without singing that song. Zacchaeus was a little man. Anybody know that? Yeah. I thought my grandkids don't know that because they don't do that stuff anymore. But... So I will try not to bust out in song during this sermon. Luke chapter 19. As always, when we study the Word of God, we always do so hopefully opening our hearts towards God. So we ask for God to open our hearts so that He can teach us and see more than just a simple story. One of the amazing things about Scripture is that so many of the stories are just really simple. And yet, so profound in their meaning because of the way that Jesus worked in people's lives. I'll give you a few moments to pray where you're seated. I'll close and then we'll look at this passage together. Would you join with me, please? Father, again, we come to you in prayer asking for your presence. We begin, Father, by recognizing your power and glory, your sovereignty over us, the way you love us and act out that love in ways that can help us. Thank you, Father. We recognize that you are the one true God, one who is worthy of worship, and so we worship you. We sing songs to bring honor to your name. We sit together and study your word and ask you to teach us. Father, we pray that you do that with us this morning. We ask for the cleansing that only you can give. We come as sinful people, tainted by our sin, often with mixed motives. We ask, Father, you would cleanse us and give us a new start, another chance at life, another chance in our relationships and every area of life. We pray for guidance and wisdom as we study your word. We pray that the relationships in churches can give us guidance in life. We ask, Father, that you would be with those that serve in circumstances such as war and accidents, first responders. Give them guidance and wisdom. Give them courage. Give them protection. 
We pray that they could do their jobs and save lives and make differences in people's lives. We pray for their families and encourage them too. We pray for those who have power over us, that they would be given wisdom and discernment and a willingness to restrain themselves and restrain the exercise of their powers. Father, help us. We need your help in so many ways. We ask for guidance in our relationships, that we might maintain our relationships and keep them intact. Help us to love people as we would like to be loved. Help us to take your teachings seriously, Father. We pray for peace in this world. We think of Ukraine, but also all the other nations that are at war. Work a work of peace, Father. We thank you for the peace and stability that we have in this great nation for allowing us to live in a time such as this where we are safe and secure and fed. Thank you. Father, as always, we ask you to be with us. Change our hearts and minds. Help us to extend your kingdom and make a difference in people's lives. We open ourselves to your influence, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So don't give up. You can see it on screen. God isn't finished with you. Sometimes you think so. I turned 65 in December, and I thought it would be a big deal, and of course it was, and it was just one more birthday. But I am becoming aware of the fact that I am now one of those old guys when I get around my grandkids, and that I'm an old man that has to be cared for because I'm kind of a stumbling fool in their minds, I think. And I, I just have to accept that. The good thing about it is my son-in-laws let me, carry, let me uh, go without carrying things. Here, let me get that for you, Kevin, because I'm old and doddering. But I am beginning to realize that even though they think I'm done, I'm not. And that, that shouldn't be a realization, but it is because, you know, in our culture, when you're old, they put you out to pasture and your job is to play ping pong and eat at Denny's for the rest of your life. You know, that's what we do. But there's more to life, and we have to understand that God isn't finished with us yet. So whether it's your age or your failures, don't look in the mirror and see just someone that God can't use anymore. And surely don't look in the mirror and see that someone that God can't use. God isn't ever done with you. On screen, a picture of a guy, Chuck Negron and Three Dog Night. You remember this group just because of the hit song, Jeremiah Was a Bullfrog. Don't bust that in song. And it's really not a song about a bullfrog, but it kind of sounds like that. One of the big hits from the 60s and 70s. And they made gazillions of dollars and they were fabulously wealthy. And you may know the story of Chuck Negron. It's the fellow on the right. Good-looking guy, extremely talented songwriter, wrote most of those big hits, and a good voice and a good performer and just knew how to do things on stage, made millions of dollars. Along the way, he developed a taste for cocaine. You probably know this. And he became an addict and really literally spent his fortune on cocaine. So he went to a rehab center. He realized that he was tanking that he was going by the wayside, that he couldn't function, missed some concerts and things like that, in and out of relationships. So he went to a rehab, and it worked for a few weeks. So he continued his habit of cocaine. 
continued his career. And then he went into rehab again because he continued to do cocaine. And he went and it worked for a few weeks. And then he started over again. The, the traveling road show that was his life was high stress, high temptation. Drugs were everywhere in those days. And he just couldn't resist, couldn't say no. Tried to stop marriage after marriage after marriage. Lost them all. Tried a rehab center again. And it worked for a few weeks. By 1991, he had gone to rehab centers 31 times. Every one of them worked for the short term, but he always went back. Finally, in 1991, he was so desperate, he went to the one he didn't want to go to. It's called Cry Help because it was a Christian organization of all those spiritual things that he really wasn't into. Didn't want to talk about Jesus, just wanted to get clean. But because he'd already been to all the other places, he tried Cry Help. And so in that atmosphere that was focusing on higher powers and spirituality, he began to change his life. 30 years later, he's still clean. It worked that time. He had to learn that he wasn't necessarily done with life, but he had to change because he realized that if he didn't quit, if he didn't change that cocaine habit, he was going to die. He was going to kill himself. He'd already run away all his friends. He'd already spent all his money. Had nothing. So he had to change. Fortunately, God worked. He just turned 80 not too long ago, a, few, a couple of years ago. Still going strong. This is one of his books came out of his career. The front of the book is a picture of him with a broken nose. He'd been arrested. That's his mugshot. And he was in and out of jail, in and out of prison. Again, that lifestyle just took everything away from him. So when he finally went to cry help alone, God was allowed to work and change him. And he began to rebuild his life. God married again. Another child. And now grandchildren. You can go on his website and see pictures of his grandkids. He's an old guy. Like I said, he's 80 years old now. Still rocking. Still doing all those things that musicians do. But without the cocaine, he's learned he was able to change his life. God was able to change his life. He looked in the mirror at that time, and God said, I'm not done with you. So we're going to talk about that today, how God can work even when you've ruined every opportunity. You know, it doesn't matter what age you are. We always do things that hurt us. And sometimes we ruin our lives. Sometimes we ruin relationships. And sometimes we just do such stupid things, we can't believe we did them, and we don't know what we're going to do. So sometimes people just leave. There's a better way, and we're going to talk about that today. If you would, turn to Luke chapter 19, we'll read the first 10 verses. A guy who had lost everything, but God wasn't done yet. And Jesus entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax gatherer, and he was rich. And he was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. 
And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anything of, of anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Simple story. You already understand it. One of the things that Zacchaeus had to learn was the idea that there is never a time when God can't make a difference. Zacchaeus really was too far gone. Got to remember the culture. Jewish culture under Roman oppression. And Roman oppression was endless and it was forever. They could not break free. Rome was the major military power on the planet and their kingdom was most of Europe and you know remember your history and there was just no way that this little bitty group of people called Jews in Israel could break free. And as every dictatorship does, they tax heavily. About 80% tax rate. So the tax man cometh was a horrible phrase. And in those days, if you were a tax man for the Roman culture, many of you know this, but you would tax and you would take more than was legal. So if they owed $10, you would take 15 And your authority and power was unquestioned. And if you didn't want to pay him your $15, he'd just call the soldiers that was with him and they would beat you and maybe kill you or at least throw you in prison for a while. But he would get his money. Jewish people hated tax gatherers because they were traitors. They were normally Jews. They were good with money. You know, that's the meme, right? And they would take that money and do whatever they want. Tax gatherers as their group were wealthy. But everybody hated them. Surprisingly enough, the Roman government hated them. You know why? Because they were traitors. No one loves a traitor. So Zacchaeus didn't take his family to see Jesus. Zacchaeus had lost his family. They hated who their daddy had become. Wife didn't want to be around that guy. Everybody hates him. His family hated him. Look what's happened to Zacchaeus. Everybody hated Zacchaeus. Probably been a tax collector for some time. He was rich. Everybody noticed that. Even Luke said, acknowledged that. And they just wanted him to die. So when Jesus was coming in town, Zacchaeus wanted to hear. We don't really know what was going on in Zacchaeus' life. Maybe he just wanted to see the show. Or maybe he had realized that his life was over. We don't know. But Jesus came to town. He couldn't see above the crowd. It's significant here to, when it says that he was very short. Everybody was very short in that culture. There were no six-foot guys and gals in that culture. No basketball players. If you were tall, that meant you were 5'5 five, five to 5'6". Five, so when Zacchaeus is told about being very short, he was probably well less, well under five foot. So imagine him, he couldn't see above the crowd, no way about it. So not only was he dismissed because of his job, he was one of those short guys. So he climbed a tree just so he could see Jesus. And then out of the crowd came Jesus and, and Jesus looked up and somewhere along the way, and, and Luke sums up the story real quick. But it probably took a little while. Jesus making his way through the crowds and going around town and all those kinds of things. People throwing him around. Jesus wanted to touch him, wanted to love him, hear him preach and teach and those kinds of things. And out of the corner of his eye, he saw this annoying little tax gatherer up in the tree. Now Jesus knew Zacchaeus. 
He knew the story. He had grown up in that culture. He knew tax collectors. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go to your house today. The crowd was aghast, literally. Because no one ate with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus ate every meal by himself. It had been that way forever. And everybody knew it. He was a sinner. Remember, they called him that, a sinner. No one wanted to be around him. So Jesus said, I'm going to eat at your house today. So they went to the house, had the meal. And somewhere in the course of the day, something happened to Zacchaeus' heart. And it had a change. See, what happened was, he realized that God wasn't finished with him. And sure enough, the God who wasn't finished with him could do something with him. Zacchaeus could be loved. He could change. He could become a different person. Look at verse 8, if you would. As a result of all this, Zacchaeus stops and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus didn't argue with him, did he? He didn't reprimand him. He didn't scold him. He didn't attack him in front of everybody. And that's what everybody wanted him to do. People wanted Jesus to attack Zacchaeus because everybody hated Zacchaeus. And he deserved it. He deserved a good beating. And Jesus heard his story and said, okay. Meaning, I accept you. And it changed his heart. For the first time in years, somebody loved Zacchaeus. And Jesus said in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house. So here's a great truth, and get this on screen. There is never a time when God is done with you. The Holy Spirit's powerful. He works to transform the lives of those who call upon God for help. So here's the way it works. Whatever the situation is, you begin to realize that something's wrong. That your life needs to change, that you need to change, that you need to get your mouth under control or your impulses or your temper. In other words, you are your own worst enemy and it clicks. I've got to do something. God can't do it for you, this idea of making you come to that place. I don't know if you've ever worked with or been a drug addict or been around drug addicts. You cannot help them until they realize they've got a problem. You have to have that awareness that something is wrong with you. It doesn't mean you loathe yourself or anything like that, but you have to aware that you've got to be aware that you've got a problem before anyone can help you, including God. Zacchaeus that day was evidently at the place where he realized he had a problem. One too many meals by himself. One too many times he'd gone to his big empty house, ordered the servants around, and ate his fine meal by himself. So the Holy Spirit worked with Zacchaeus. And this is the way it works. The Holy Spirit continues to press and encourage and nudge and convict and makes people aware. And if they are open to the working of the Spirit, then they're to the place where God can begin to work. And then... When people are like that, God can do just about anything. He can do it through a sermon. He can do it through a Bible passage. He can do it through a song sometimes. The Holy Spirit works, and God is able to begin to create something inside one's heart that says, I'm ready to change. And then the person makes the decision, like Zacchaeus did. Now, we could stop there. 
Because really that's a pretty powerful message, isn't it? You are never too far for God to work. You are never so steeped in your sin. You've never done something so bad that God can't use you and heal you and repurpose your life. I like that word repurpose. If um, you go to antique stores, some of you are antiquers, I know that, or you have junk in your house. Now, we call it junk, but you know what I'm talking about. It's stuff, just stuff in the basement. You read the magazines and you find out you can take something and repurpose it, right? Which means you clean it up and you use it for something different than it was used before. Even though it couldn't be used for what it used to be, when you repurpose something, you can use it differently. And this is exactly what God does with us. He repurposes us because he may use us to do something that is different from what we've done before. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. After this, he said he was going to be different and he changed his life and those kinds of things we're going to talk about in just a minute. What is happening here was God was in the purpose of repurposing Zacchaeus. He'd been a tax collector. He stole from people. He intimidated people. He used force of law to take what he wanted. He was smart. And God was going to repurpose that life. Zacchaeus didn't know it could happen. But it did. And one of the things that comes out here, and this is this great truth on screen, God works through our faithfulness to transform us. He doesn't do it if we don't want him to. But if you go to God and you say, God, I need something different here. I want my life to change. I want to be a different person. God says, okay. And he begins to change. So Jesus saved Zacchaeus. We don't have that conversation, but we see the result. He was different. So somewhere along the way, he and Zacchaeus had this conversation. Follow Jesus the Savior. Commit your life to him. Place your faith in God. Allow God's word to teach you. All those things that Zacchaeus had picked up on when he was a little boy. Because he was Jewish. And God began to rekindle some of that stuff that was inside him. And he changed his life forever. On screen, we're going to talk about some of the changes that God can bring. And these are things that we see from Zacchaeus. Look at verse 8. Still in chapter 19, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. So he changed his values. For Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the only value was make money. Some of you understand how, perver how what a perverting force that is. When your only goal is to make money and only goal is to gain possessions, you are willing to sacrifice everything. He had sacrificed relationships and family and children. He had sacrificed community respect. He had sacrificed his own health. He sacrificed everything for the sake of making money. That was the life of a tax collector in that culture for all those reasons that I've talked about. But look what he said. Half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. You see, that was an understanding that when you had an income, and this was the biblical teaching, you give at least a tenth of what you make to the poor. They just need it. Special plea or not, there are people that can't take care of themselves. God expects his people to do that. Zacchaeus had not because it was more important that he hang on to his money. 
But his value system changed. You see, what was happening was God was transforming him. Jesus didn't thump him in the head. Jesus didn't hurt him, didn't ridicule him. Instead, Jesus loved him. And the way God works is he changes you from the inside. So he changed his value system, changed what is important. So when you understand this, and this is the way biblical interpretation works, when you see that when people turn their lives over to God, their value system changes, this is how God works with us. He's not going to change your hair or physical appearance, but he will change what you value. Regardless of what you value now, when you follow Jesus in faith, you develop this character profile. You learn to care for others. That's one of those values. You care for other people. You care about how you treat other people. If your manner is offensive and hurtful as a Christian and you learn to care for people, you begin to change your manner, the way you talk to people, the way you talk to your spouse or children or your parents. And you have this value where you begin to value people. Another value you have as you grow in faith is God teaches you to value his kingdom, which means the things that you didn't care about before, people getting saved, people getting helped, the church thriving, those become important to you. And, and sometimes just going to church is one of those things. You begin to realize this is a value of mine. You see, your value system is changing. Instead of sleeping in and relaxing, and Sunday morning is good for that. I don't know why, but it is. Instead, you value worship so that it becomes a value of your life. Another thing, it's a change of practices. I will give back four times as much. So instead of taking more than he could, he was going to give back. You realize what was happening, don't you? He's giving up his job as tax collector. You cannot be tax collector and do what he did and follow Jesus at the same time. So there's a change of practices. And the lesson for us is when you follow Jesus, your life will change. You may not change your job or anything like that, but you will change. How you talk to people will change. How you value people will change. How you think and act will change. Hopefully, the things you read will change. The movies you watch will change. You'll find out that things that you used to do as non-Christian are no longer appropriate as Christian. They just don't fit that lifestyle. And so you've changed your practices. Change the way you handle your money. Changes the way you handle your talents and gifts. My daughter sent us a videotape of um, my eight-year-old granddaughter. You know, I was thinking last week, I'm going to preach a sermon someday and not use my granddaughters, but I don't know I can do that because they're such a big part of my life. But my eight-year-old granddaughter is kind of a, she's just a real sweetheart. And they're learning to be ministers. And my daughter is very intentional in that. So uh, my daughter's taking guitar lessons. My granddaughter's taking guitar lessons. And she's just a little kid. And she's not a prodigy or anything. She's just a sweet little girl. And they got her a cute little pretty blue Fender ukulele. So she's learning to play these cute little songs on a little ukulele. You know what it looks like. And she's just a squirrely little kid. Her guitar teacher lost a family member. So this eight-year-old girl 
got online on YouTube, and this is how kids function today, and she found a nice little song that she thought she could learn. So she learned how to play this little song, and then she made a videotape of herself on her phone and mailed it to her guitar teacher to let her know she was thinking about him. It broke our hearts. You see, she's learning as Christian that you do things for other people. That's what happens, isn't it? When you grow in Christ, you change. And the last one, a change of relationships. Just imagine, if you took Jesus' teachings seriously, how that would change you. If, instead of saying what you wanted and doing what you wanted, you said, okay, I want to treat people like I want to be treated myself. Imagine how that's going to change you at home. Think how you treat your spouse or your parents or child. Do you want to be treated that way? If not... Treat them differently. Treat them like you want to be treated. Make that a test. Before you open your mouth, test it. Is that how I would like to be treated? If you learn to live that way with that teaching, then it's going to change you. You know, so many of the biblical teachings are really very seriously, very simple, but yet profound. Treat people like you want to be treated. There's nothing hard about that. Be an encourager. When someone's down, encourage them. When someone does something good, encourage them. You do not have to insult people all the time. You know, some of us take great pride in being honest. I'm just being honest. You're an idiot. You know, and we'll say things like that. You do not have to do that. That's not who you are, folks. That's just a bad habit. You can change that. When you realize that God wants you to be an encourager and someone who builds others up, and you begin to take that to heart, God can help you to break that nasty habit. Build people up. Love people. Do things that help others. Pray for them. Send cards. Give them a hug. When they fail, you do not have to tell them their failures. They know. Build them up and encourage them. Look for the good in people. When you do that... People recognize you are going to change. The people were so upset when Jesus went to be with Zacchaeus because he's a sinner. In their mind, once a sinner, always a sinner, always worthless. And Jesus proved them wrong. I would imagine that if we could go out, back and find the life of, of Zacchaeus after the fact, and I don't know that we can, that would see a guy who made a dramatic transformation. He became a nice guy. Nothing that made the headlines. Just that guy who loves people. On screen is this final idea. It's never too late for God to work into a life in a situation and bring change. It's up to you, folks. Invite God into your life. Receive Christ as Savior if you haven't. If you've already done that, continue to pray that God will change you every day. And pray, God, help me to be aware. Help me to be alert to how I can treat people differently. Help me to know... How I can represent Christ in all things. Before Jesus left the earth, he was with his disciples. And he said, when you get together and eat, this is what I want you to do. Now we've taken the Lord's Supper and turned it into a ritual. And there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus was just saying, listen, whenever you get together, remind yourself. When Christians gather, remind yourself of who you are. You're not just nice people. You're people who follow Jesus. 
You've people who've made commitments to following the resurrected Christ. So we're going to do this today. So I'm going to ask the deacons come forward and get in place. And you know how we do this. You come forward and you take a cup and then you peel it back. And like always, if you see someone who's struggling, help them. Sometimes old fingers or fat fingers don't work very well. We understand. My fingers work fine. I just can't see what I'm doing anymore. Help people. You don't have to be a member of the church here or anywhere, to be honest, to take part in this. It is celebration, but it's also invitation. Follow Jesus like we do. Not so you can be like us, but so you can be like Jesus. So you can allow God to transform you like Zacchaeus. Why don't you stand with me? We'll have a word of prayer, then, then you'll come down and get yours and go back and be seated like you've done before. Father, thank you for your presence. We pray that you would use this meal to nurture us in our faith, to remind us that we follow resurrected Christ, that we're Christian, that we are to live differently for his glory. Thank you, Father, for loving us as you have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul tells the story of what the Lord had revealed to him. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul adds, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. This was meant as invitation, but it was also meant as witness. Not just in inviting people to follow Jesus, but saying, I follow Jesus myself. So there's this burden where if you're going to claim it, going to claim the name of Jesus, God wants you to follow him. Step up. So why don't you stand with me? We're going to have an invitation hymn of commitment. Make those decisions that will allow God to use you. Maybe you'll need to make, come forward and make something public. Maybe not. But between you and God, make sure that you've made these commitments and you're going to live them out. Nate?
a day for rejoicing. Wow, I'm really loud today. But that's okay. Jim and Benny have come to join our church. Our followers of Jesus want to be part of our fellowship. If you are going to affirm them, say amen. amen. You're in. All right, so stand here. So when the services are over, come and welcome them into the fellowship. And we're just glad you're here. All right, you can get over there. Yeah. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, be with us now as we go. Keep and protect us from harm. And Father, lead us in the right way. And Father, help us this week to do a good deed for someone else. And maybe someone we don't even know. And do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.